0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Action 22's Making Action Happen um, today. Today we are will be joined by uh, Donald Moore with uh, Pueblo Community Health and we'll um, introduce and talk with him in, a, in just a little bit. Uh, we were to have Tara Lowry on today. Tara is the CEO of Sangre de Crystal Hospice. However, um, she is helping uh, get her dad taken care of. Um, his Her dad has fell, fallen ill and he's one of these wonderful men that is all about family and he's a good man of faith and so uh Tinky we um are sending our love and our prayers out to you um right now for a, a speedy and full recovery um so I'm joined again uh here um in our office by uh, Brian McCain hi all. hi Brian Hello. <laughs> so Brian and I um wanted to visit about a couple of things um before we got started um, with uh, with Donald Moore. Um, and if you've been listening, if you've been a long time listener to the show or you've been listening to the show, you already know Brian well, but uh, we just wanted to kind of visit because there's a whole lot, a whole lot going on right this second um, in Colorado um, on a whole lot of fronts. But uh, Brian, what's been top of mind for you this last week?
2: Uh, a few things um, on a federal level. Uh, you, everybody saw that Nancy Pelosi was reelected as Speaker of the House. We have mm-hmm. that. Um, there was some talk that that may or may not have happened, but when she's reelected. On the state level, we're seeing that the governor's having a special session after next week. I believe, right. Um, which there's going to be some some monies available for the communities all due to COVID. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah.
1: So um, that special session is going to be an interesting one that um, the governor is calling back Um, all of the legislators, that's the current legislators, not the ones that were just elected. Um, There was a little bit of a surplus um, on the budget projections from last year. So um, they want to try to um, discuss how to turn that into a bit of a relief package. Um, And um, also just on the COVID side of it. So um, they'll be discussing about $900 million. Um, So this will be, it'll be interesting to see um, what and how I think the last um, few months have been some lessons learned, but. Um.
2: Yes, and more importantly, uh, one thing that they're focusing on on it is uh, broadband. And right. with everything going on now, you're seeing the school shut down again, like we talked about, where it's at home learning, online learning. And part of his package that's um, proposed is money for broadband and getting kids connected so that that's going to be something that at least for rural Colorado that we need to pay attention to um, to be on top of basically yeah. because yes. we, we, we don't have the best broadband
1: we don't have the best broadband and that's like two or three shows to discuss broadband but um, the question that's being asked on that right now I think is um, if they don't have it now you know they haven't been able to get it in the last nine months why isn't that the case and what's going to actually be the most effective thing. So we're going to hear a lot about infrastructure, but we're also going to hear a lot about hotspots and, and all kinds of fun, fun stuff. Um, so we're going to be watching that really closely and bring in, um, bringing some of that to you. Um,
2: yep. And then, um, also with that, you, you know, there's going to be some infrastructure stuff, not just broadband. Um, you know, in, in Southern Colorado, we always complain about our roads and bridges mm-hmm. not being the best. Um, so maybe there's some opportunity there and then going forward with the normal budget to, to, um, be engaged with that. Um, make sure that the North is paying attention to the Southern part of Colorado. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be, that's There's going to be a lot, um, a lot on that side. Uh, and it's, With so many people and so many regions making so much noise, um, we're going to have to um, really um, be in the middle of it. Um, And so we'll have uh, Mike Beasley and Fifty Two Eighty Strategies helping us out with some of that. That's um, our our folks up in Denver. Um, But we're going to be on the phone a lot um, that week after um, afterwards, and we'll be talking to um, of course, you know, the action between two representatives, Denea Escar, who's the um, JBC chair. um, And she was just voted for um, to be the um, majority leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course we've got um, some, some new ones coming in, but it's going to be interesting to watch sort of the, I don't know the feel or the flavor of how serious they are about really addressing Um, using those funds to really address problems um, and do a a genuine stimulus package. Yeah.
2: And even going forward past that, uh, as we're seeing right now, uh, you know, the presidential election has not been decided yet. But just saying that it goes to Biden, President Biden, you're going to see a change in the administration, which will be interesting to see how many people from our region are appointed to, you know, positions like the SBA, USDA, stuff like that. And traditionally, even from Pueblo, Southern Colorado, um, even over to the Western slope, it's interesting in that a lot of the people that get appointed to these positions, both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, come from Colorado. Uh, you know, you've had Salazar, you have, um, I can't think of the name now, but, you, you know, Colorado, a lot of the the leaders here, uh, they do get appointed to these positions, and it's important to keep track of that.
1: Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see um, as the transition, as that we start to see some of those things happen, um, how many of our Southern Colorado um, folks will start to fill some of those gaps from that transition. So transitions, there's going to be a lot of discussion about yes. that. Um, yeah. So there's going to be a whole, whole lot going on. That's sort of what's been front of mind for me um, the last few days or this last week um, in spite of what's happening Um, on our, in our region, on the COVID and the numbers and, you know, um, (laughs) our region making um, national lists and and that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) I've been thinking a lot on the word mandate um, with all of this going on. And I remember the first time Nancy Pelosi um, said mandate, I thought, oh, that's really sweet. She's got a date. (laughs) She probably needs to get out. She just seems like that maybe help with her, you know, feeling better about the world and not so angry. And then um, I set the dad joke aside for a second and started to think about um, my frustration right now is this whole idea of um, a mandate, um, but it's not a mandate. It doesn't feel like a mandate for people. It feels like a mandate for agendas. Um, and I'm, I'm particularly frustrated with this. I don't know if you saw this, but I um, there was a, an article I saw earlier this week about um, all these um, Californians buying a property in Georgia um, so that they could vote in this runoff election. Um, and I just, um, the, uh, this idea that um, if, if your party wins an election, then you have a mandate other than to serve the people, that your mandate somehow becomes a part of this agenda um, to do things. And you're so devoted to that, um, that, that you would encourage people to go by property in another state. So, um, you can influence that election. Um, and of course everybody knows that the reason everybody's looking at Georgia right now is because that Senate election is going to decide who's going to have the majority, which side's going to have the majority, um, In in the Senate. Um, because the house um has uh, is on the dim side, but um it's it's even split until we they decide in Georgia what's going on. Um, and so that <laughs> i I find it that well, word more and more frustrating.
2: yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Um, have faith in the system.
1: <sighs> I'm glad you're here to tell me that because yeah. I get frustrated with <laughs> the mandate idea. Um so, I, you know, I guess what I really am looking for from elected officials are um, this idea that once you're elected, that you don't serve a party, but rather you serve everybody. So, um, and I think about leadership and, um, and Donald Moore that we have with us today. He, all he does all day, every day is serve this community. And we're really in a crisis right now um, in Pueblo.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, Donald Moore is on the line with us and I've worked with him in the past through Congressman Tipton's office. Um, he's the public community health center director here and and the community health centers all around the state. Um, they provide a important, valuable and necessary service. And with that, we have Donald Moore. Donald, can you tell us a little bit about what you do?
3: Uh, hey, hey, Brian. Hey, uh, Sarah. Um... Yeah, I've been at Pueblo Community Health Center for 21 years. I've been at CEO for 12. And uh, the way I would have your listeners think about a community health center is it's a family doctor's office. It's a it's a place people trust uh, to take care of their health care needs, whether those are uh, uh, physical needs, uh, their oral health care needs, uh, their mental health care needs. Um We're we're the place people trust for their ongoing usual access to care. Our particular focus is on um, lower income populations and and people who experience barriers to care. Uh, In Pueblo County, um, last year, we served over 27,000 of our fellow citizens who who needed uh, quality health care. So my background is in administration, uh, healthcare administration in particular. Um, in addition to being the CEO, um, here, I'm on the Pueblo County, uh, board of health as well. And I'm currently serving as the president of the board of health and and boy, has it been an interesting time Mm -hmm. to serve on the, the board of health, uh, during a pandemic.
1: So you started that you have got that position before the pandemic, right?
3: Yeah, I've been on the on the board of health for about six years, and uh, just started. <laughs> I think I was uh, elected in as president in February, it was like uh, literally a month before things <laughs> really started to go a little crazy. And and I and I want to say the the director of the health department, Randy Evitz, um he he hadn't even been on the job a whole year uh, when the pandemic started. And so he's really been, um, had a baptism by fire, but I just want to tell your listeners that I admire Randy a lot. Um, he's very community minded. And what I appreciate a lot about Randy is his ability to look at the totality of issues and interests of the community and, and really give advice to policymakers, Um, about about balancing competing priorities, um, it, it is a very difficult um, difficult act to uh, do. Uh, balancing the the public health um, with the uh, you know the economic vitality and the social needs of the community, and I I think by and large, Randy's doing a good job. He he's 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 been criticized. He's taken some shots, but I think on balance, he's he's handling things pretty adeptly.
1: Well, he's been a, a big leader, especially on the nonprofit side of it uh, here um, for Pueblo County for a long time. So he's he has to be one of the most community minded people around. Um, he's he's mm-hmm. been I mean, he's just been doing this for um, a really and he's served the community really well for a really long time.
3: Yeah. Um, well, he's a Puebloan. He's, you know, born and raised here and the community means a lot to him.
1: Well, and and the, the hardship of, of being um, like that is when somebody cares so much, but there's always going to be somebody who is going to second guess in question. And no matter what people are going to be mad, um, especially right now through all this. So, um, so we give a shout out and a, a high five to Randy for the way he's managed um, all of this through this. Um, so we, we heard, um, I think yesterday that we made a national list about uh, um, some of the top, um, <laughs> and not in a good way. Once again, um, about how many, uh, how much it's spreading in color, in Colorado, but in Pueblo in particular. Um, so you have real time numbers on some of these things, right?
3: I do. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm kind of dialed into that on a da- on a daily basis. Um, yeah, things are things are not good right now in terms of the expansion of cases and maybe to cut right to the core of the issue that is driving um, or or is what's driving the discussion about um, mandates and um, restrictions, et cetera. the, The threat about which we should all be concerned is the hospital capacity. And Sarah, when we met with the governor a few weeks ago, you probably recall him, um, you know, that was a top of mind issue for him that-
1: Absolutely. He,
3: he my impression was that he, he, he wants to avoid further restrictions and shutting things down at, as much as he can, but he was very specific in saying that um, as cases grow, the need for hospitalization grows and it, it overwhelms the hospital capacity. And to that, to that point, Pueblo is, is pretty much on the verge of, of being over capacity. Um, I'm looking at the daily status report that's sent out by the Pueblo County Emergency Operations Center. And yesterday, every single Parkview ICU bed was full. At Corwin, uh, um, in Parkview has 42 beds. Every single one of them was taken up. I do not know how many of those beds were occupied by COVID patients, but um, um, certainly the surge in COVID admissions is contributing to the maxing out of the ICU beds. Um, Corwin, St. Mary Corwin has um, six ICU beds, and they had two of those occupied. So in our community, we have a total of 48 beds and only four available beds as of yesterday. So we're getting pretty close to that tipping point. And basically what happens is, you know, those patients need to be sent outside the community. Um, I was on a, um, uh, a um, televideo conference yesterday, sponsored... Uh, by the medical society, Pueblo County Medical Society and the health department and Dr. Vijan, the CMO at Parkview Medical Center was there. And um, it was quite a sobering update that he gave. It was very matter of fact, he, he wasn't hyperbolic about it, but he, he his true concern is certainly there are some very sick COVID patients but his his true his true concern is is when these ICU beds uh, fill up, the next person with a heart attack or a stroke or a right. symbolism who shows up in the ER for which response to that serious medical condition is very urgent if there's not an ICU bed available their care gets delayed by virtue of an ambulance ride or a helicopter ride, you know, to Colorado Springs or Denver or wherever there's an available bed. And so um, he's less concerned about the, the mortality and the impact medically on the COVID patients. He's more concerned about our community's ability to take care of people who have, um, more traumatic situations, um, right, whether it be a car accident or, um, as I mentioned, a heart attack or a stroke. So that kind of really puts things into stark terms of, of what the threat is. And, um, but, but I think there is good news about this situation. Um, a November 10th report to local public health indicated that um, there was a three-day trend of declining cases. Now, the, ca- the number of cases is still through the roof and, and out of control, um, as it were, but seeing that, tr- seeing that trend line starting to bend a little bit should give us room for optimism. Now, why, why has that trend line um, started to bend a little bit? It's actually because of personal behavior and personal responsibility. And the way to get our arms around this and to avoid um, having to reduce economic activity, reduce social act, uh, interaction and so forth is, is to follow the advice that, that we're getting from public health. And it's, it's, um, it's very simple, straightforward. Hand washing, wear your mask, and very limited social interaction. I mean, everyone's heard all this stuff. I'm not sharing anything no. that's new. I so think me, what the, the hardest of all those are, those social interactions, because that, we're human beings. That's what we thrive on. And um, But it's those small gatherings and social interactions which have been driving up the, the rates. Go ahead, Sarah.
1: So I was just going to ask you um, to expand on that a little bit more. Um, is there... So there were some hot spots as this started to sort of trend. Um, there were some places where are you seeing or where is everybody seeing that this is, um, this is coming from, like where are the most um, at risk areas or for expanding or increasing those numbers? So is it, is it like, is it, um, is it healthcare workers bringing stuff home and then, you know, socializing it? Is it, um, is it sporting events? Is it, Um, is it schools? Is it, um, grocery stores? I mean, where is it, where are we seeing those numbers coming from?
3: From what I have read and been told it's, it's from informal social gatherings and where, um, it's not sporting events, um, sporting events and, and, um, events that have been planned and received, um, you know, approval and variances through the, through the process, they tend to have all the safeguards in place, the mask wearing, the distancing, right. the, the controlled environment. The cases are spreading when, you know, um, families get together for social events. The cases are spreading when people meet up um, out in the community, whatever the setting, um, I don't want to, I don't want to say particular places cause I'm not here to no, no. Yeah. anybody, but it's, it's, it's when see the, 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 the difficult thing about COVID is you, you can be infected for quite a while before you start experiencing symptoms and, and know that you pose a risk to other people. Right. And 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 that's when that transmission occurs. And I don't I don't think it was, you know, one cataclysmic event in Pueblo or in the community. I think this becomes kind of a cumulative thing where, you know, we return to school. Uh, we began, you know, fall sports in a, in a limited in a limited way. Right. Um, as the weather cools, we we're tending to be in more. Inside more rather than outdoors. Um, being well, indoors we, is higher risk than being outside. You know, we've put had, off a lot
1: of family things like um, weddings, birthdays, those yeah. those things that we do to celebrate.
3: Yeah, with with that Halloween, um, I mean. So I I think it's accumulation of of uh, this close contact and and just letting our guard down with respect to the the basic preventative measures, and 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 it's just snowballed, and we've had this exponential growth in cases, and um, you know we're facing facing some real threats.
1: So I wanted to ask you um, when the governor was down when you and I and a, a few other of our um, folks met with the governor um, a few weeks ago um, this. And, and I agree with you. My big takeaway was that he wasn't he was not looking um, to shut anything down. He really doesn't want to. Um, and I think we've seen that over and over again. They added a, they added a color on the dial. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's trying to do everything that they, he can to leave it up to the you know, individual counties and so forth. Um, you know, but there's a there comes a point where something has to be done. Um, And I think for the most part, um, you know, you see these communities stepping up and taking care of of what needs to happen in in their own areas. Um, But the thing that that I took away from from what you said, um, you know, the report you gave him, was that you were more worried about um, medical um, staff, um, medical um, people being able to do that than you were about beds at that time. But this has been... I mean I think we met with him what it's been like 2 or 3 weeks now that we met with him. Um yeah. so number one is that still your concern with only four ICU beds cuz you had said that there you know that there could possibly be um, more beds added to um to maybe um Corwin here um in Pueblo but your big concern was on on staff and I was I hadn't thought about that but it was and it got his attention as well.
3: Yes um the, the staffing is very much a concern. Um, the back in April at the start of the pandemic, um, three what they call alternate care facilities were created: uh, two in the Denver metro area and one in Pueblo, um, based at St. Mary Corn Medical Center. And um, basically, what they are are overflow beds. Okay. And um, those beds are administered by the state of Colorado. Now it's great that we have the space and the facilities and the supplies. If if the the usual bed capacity is overrun, but if you put a patient in the bed, you have to have RNs and respiratory therapists right. and other personnel who can um, administer uh healthcare and medical services to that individual. Um one bright note is we we do have plenty of ventilators so that that's a good thing. But right. you need the staff to run those. I know here at Public Community Health Center um we have been short staffed uh because our employees um have contracted the infection and they um and when they expose Co-workers, um, those co-workers have to be either quarantined or isolated for a period of time. Um, and over at the hospitals, um, they are running double time, maybe even triple time, uh, to adequately staff the beds that we have. On a on a um, call that we had yesterday with local providers, the chief nursing officer of St. Mary Corwin said that Centura is um, asking nurses from other states um, to come into Colorado to supplement their staffing. Um, I believe he said nurses from Florida at at from hospitals that are that are in the same healthcare system as right. As that, they're coming to Colorado just to help shore up the staffing here in Colorado. Now that that's great. It, that's a tremendous uh, resource that they can bring to bear. But it just sort of highlights the the criticality of that issue. So we should not have a false sense of um, security that just because we have extra beds available, that that we um, automatically would be able to staff them appropriately.
1: Um, is that is it realistic? Um, are they are they able to get um, nurses um, or medical professionals to come from other states, or? I mean, they can ask, but are, is it actually happening? I guess is the question.
3: Yeah, and you're, I mean, it is happening, but I mean, there's a, a. See, what's different now than back in March and April is every state is having a surge of cases. Right. Back in April, it was New Jersey and New York and California and Washington. And, and, and the other States, you know, certainly were seeing cases, but we weren't having the kinds of surges that we're having now. So right. I, I infer from that that it's going to be very, very difficult um, to do that. My wife is a, is a nurse and um, I, I know back in, in April, I mean, she had opportunities to go to the East coast for, three, four, and five times her hourly wage if she was willing to go. And so um, I'm hearing the same thing um, starting to emerge here locally that in order to get a nurse uh, and other staff to come in that you have to pay that premium.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a supply and demand problem. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break, Donald. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the shortages and stuff that you talked about with the governor. Um, and some of the how we move forward um, ideas that you have. So um, we'll be right back after this break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
2: the Internet's number one talk station.
0: Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's one 866 472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now back to Making Action Happen.
1: Hi, welcome back. Um, we've got Donald Moore with us. Donald is, if you're just joining the show, um, um, Donald is the CEO of Public Community Health Center, and he's also um, the president of the Pueblo County Board of Health. Um, and so he's got um, real-time information. He's in um, the middle of this, um, fighting this pandemic. Um, and especially here in Puebla when it, we've had such a huge increase of late. Um, so we had a question um, come in during the break. Um, and so, Donald, can you tell us a little bit about the people that are being hospitalized, some of the demographics on them, um, if, they have, if they're coming in? If they have to be hospitalized, if they have a pre-existing um, health condition, um, some of those, some of those kinds of things. Do you have any information on that?
3: Yes. Um, generally speaking, the the majority of the people who are positive with COVID tend to be younger. I mean, the the largest category of positive cases is age twenty to twenty nine. Okay. The, the next largest is age 30 to 39. Now, that's an age demographic that that generally can you know, deal with being sick without you know, serious complications. The majority of the hospitalizations tend to be older folks, so 60 years and older. And the majority of the mortality occurs in the elderly. Um, I'm looking at the data and it's about 80% of the deaths in Pueblo County from COVID-19 are 70 years of age and older. Okay. The other um, common denominator of, of people who, um, again, this is statistics and and on average, but, um, people with uh, serious medical conditions such as, um, Kidney disease, uh, respiratory disease like uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, any kind of heart conditions, um, immunocompromised um, folks, um, obesity is a risk factor, um, diabetes, and and uh, which disproportionately affects Southern Colorado, right? Um, asthma, um, things of that nature um, tend tend to put you at a higher risk. Uh, for uh, an admission as well. My, I have a daughter, she's 23 and and she has a rheumatological disorder and she takes uh, a drug called methotrexate which suppresses your immune system. And um, my wife and I are, you know, constantly encouraging her to be safe because, you know, she's young but she has this underlying condition that, that puts her at risk and so you know, um, Sarah. Before the podcast started, uh, and, and even as as it began, we were talking about mandates and restrictions. What what we really need right now, and and I want to say this in the most encouraging way to everyone who might be listening. What we need right now is is not um, the most effective thing is personal responsibility, and right. and kind of this ethic of of wanting to your community and your neighbors and your friends and the people that you love to be safe and healthy and to retain their job and for their business to stay open. And and I have not encountered yet an elected official, whether it's the mayor, the county commissioner, city council, um, D- Dania Escar Leroy Garcia all the way up to the mayor no one wants to restrict things further no one wants to shut down anything I think right. that there's a very strong understanding among our leaders that economic well-being is good for health social well-being is good for health spiritual um, well-being is good for health um, but if we if if we don't on an individual basis, start to behave in a way to reduce our risk and reduce the spread in our community, we are going to put um, our freedoms at risk. And right. there will have to be limits instituted on our ability to work, socialize, and engage in economic activity. Um, the, you mentioned the, the dial. Um, I am pretty sure that um, over the weekend, Pueblo will probably move to the red level. Right. um, And here here is what will change if that occurs. I mean, um, basically they, you know, do not um, want personal gatherings of any any sort. I don't know that that's enforceable, but when you go to red, that's the expectation. the bars will close. Um, that that will not um, be permitted anymore. Um, yeah. More restrictions on in, any kind of indoor events. Um, restaurant activity to, goes to takeout only. Yeah. And so um, those those are the kinds of things we don't want to happen. Um, and we do have control over this. I mean, we just kind of we need to suck it up for a few weeks and 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 just sort of. Um, limit our contact and activity with folks other than those essential activities, like going, going to work and, and shopping for necessities. And
1: well, um, and honestly, this holiday, I mean, Thanksgiving, this is a really great time to just do that. And it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be tough for, um, you know, to not get together for Thanksgiving Um, but like you said, if we got, if we just be tough, if we just toughen up for a couple more weeks, I think we'll be okay. Um, so along that line, what's actually, so what's working on two fronts, what's working on a treatment side. And then, um, do you have data that shows that just that personal responsibility that you were just talking about is actually working? So first what's working as far as treatment goes?
3: Well, um, I, first of all, I'm not a physician, but um, just just from participating in meetings at which physicians are present and listening to our chief medical officer and so forth, um, the 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 course of treatment for people with COVID um, is is becoming very effective, and, there, and the medical community is understanding how to help people recuperate. From um, having having the um, the infection uh, very effectively. Um, again, you, you know, um, it, it's the older population in the hospital that has to undergo the significant treatments. If you're young and otherwise healthy, it's it's like it's kind of like riding out the flu or or a really bad you know bronchitis right. or head cold. Right. You you stay at home and you you know you you treat your symptoms and most importantly you just isolate from on another piece of good news is is the vaccine and it's been all over the news the past right to bring it home locally um what i would want to share is our local health departments in pueblo and in other counties within the action 22 area those local health departments are on frequent um conference calls with the state health department and they are actively putting into place a plan to distribute the vaccine when it becomes available. My understanding is um, there will be 40 million doses available nationwide. Right. You need, you need you know, two rounds, two doses, so effectively they can serve 20 million people with this first tranche right. of supplies that we have. They will be targeting healthcare workers and other essential first responder folks, and they will um, be um, um, intervening in the in the long term care settings where you have very frail elderly populations and the and the employees that that um, serve those uh, individuals. But the planning is actively happening so that so that. It will move along um, swiftly when the vaccine becomes available.
1: So here's my question on that. And this may have changed in the last few days. Um, I know Pfizer came out with theirs first and then um, whoever came out with Mm -hmm. theirs second. Um, But I was reading that um, in order to keep the vaccine, um, it had to have like a negative 70 degrees um, or it was extremely, extremely cold to be able to do that. So the first thing I thought when I read that was, how does that work for rural communities? I mean, how are you going to get that? Um, like, what yeah. infrastructure are you going to have to put in place to actually um, keep the vaccine?
3: Yeah, it, that's a that's a great uh, point and concern. Um, I I believe it is like negative seventy. Um, there are those kinds of ref- um, freezers in Pueblo. Oh, okay. The health department has one, I believe um, one of the Kaiser Permanente locations here in Pueblo has one is I believe is what I was told. So um, the back, it won't be a situation where you can just go to your doctor's office to get the vaccine as normal. Right. It will be centrally stored and then um, transported to the location at which it uh, will be administered. I I don't know for sure, but I, I would have to assume that the hospital's have that kind of capability, given the the variety of medications they have to administer, and
1: yeah, and uh, that was my big question that. on the on the um and um on the vaccine was uh, how is that going to work for these communities that are outside yeah. that area?
2: Yeah, and they um, I've been on a few calls recently with everyone from the VA and the state, and I think they have a a good network established for that. You know, you may not be able to have the storage of the vaccine, say, in a rural, like Campo, Colorado or something right. like that. There's not much, but the way they're approaching it is, like Donald said, it'll be at a, you know, stored in Pueblo, stored in Alamosa, stored in the, the larger places. And then uh, again, it'll be, you have to go to the location or they can transport it temporarily and administer it there in a yeah. single place. So they, they're working on it. It's, um, it, it's not hard to do. I okay. Think. So by the, the time they the health by departments the time have great.
3: also received um, CARES Act funding for staffing and equipment. And these freezers are like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. They're mm-hmm. they are very expensive. But um, the 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 CARES Act money has gotten out to local communities and those funds um, are and should be utilized um, for the for those kinds of purposes. Yeah. But I, I think I think until that infrastructure is deployed, it's going to be a central, you know, a regional approach where there's central supply and some sort of system for targeting populations that need to get it um, in the first wave of available supply.
1: Well, and I'm sure that there's a little bit of a a wiggle room um, as far as if it has to be kept at that temperature. And then if it goes below that temperature, the vaccine's still good for so many hours. So that might be the transportation. Right. And, and um, I
3: believe that it can be so transported with dry ice. Um, I, yeah. I would think. Pretty,
2: yeah.
3: Buy stock and
2: dry ice companies, I, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You go back in time and buy stock and zoom, right?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. so Donald, when, um, when are you in your position, um, both with uh, public Community Health and with on the Board of Health, when are you going to be able to sort of like take a breath? Like, okay, we're through the worst of this. And then how far is that? So what's your benchmark?
3: Well, um, <laughs> my bench, I, I, there's a couple of benchmarks. One is um, the current projection is that the state of Colorado will be out of ICU beds by December 6th. That's not that, that far away. That's not that far away. What's scary is um, about 10 days ago, the projection was end of December. So so within the, the span of a week, week and a half, um, the the lack of ICU bed capacity has accelerated. And so December 6th is the current uh, trajectory. Um, So that would be one benchmark I'll be following is that, that prediction date of when ICU bed um, capacity uh, goes to zero. Does that, do we start to push that out or does it start to creep closer uh, to it? Right. I think Thanksgiving is a sentinel event. Um, a word of encouragement. Um, the, the state is able to quantify social distancing, and they do that through a variety of uh, means. And I think it's called a stay-at-home index of of some sort. But it basically measures how good we are at not, you know, mingling and and intermixing and and um, informally gatherings. Um, last week, the rate was at 61%. It's up to 65% now. Okay. And I think, you know, as the urgency has grown and the awareness has grown about the seriousness of the condition, um, people are um, engaging in personal responsibility. They are showing civic mindedness. They are um, behaving in a way that, um, you know, keeps their neighbors safe, Um, both their next door neighbor and the neighbors at their job site or in the grocery store. And so it's up to 65%. That number needs to go to 80% in order to um, push that threat of not having enough hospital and ICU beds, start pushing it out into the future okay as long as it stays at 65 percent, you know it it, that december 6th is still going to be the day we run out of beds if we um if we can if we can get that number because the cases are just growing much faster than we're social distancing so back to thanksgiving as a sentinel event um you know the the urge to be with our family and our friends and and enjoy those holidays and and be, be with those people that we love is so strong. I mean, um, but this is a year where we really need to back away from that and reel that kind of behavior in. There was a, there was a national survey published yesterday and 50% of the people are going to have small Thanksgivings and the other half of the country is planning on, not changing their, you know, what they do every year. That's insufficient. That's, that's, that's an insufficient uh, reaction to the situation. And, you know, um, it is the holiday, but like, gosh, if we can just bear down and really adhere to these guidelines um, between now and the new year, I, I think we'll have a really good chance of, not having to do draconian things like, you know, ask everyone to stay at home and shut down yeah. a lot, a big portion of the economy. I don't
1: and I don't think anyone wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. I, uh, we're, we're getting creative in our household. We're, we told the, we told our boys that um, we would extend um, their screen time if they were on with their cousins. Um, so they're playing games online with cousins and they're doing that kind of thing. Um, And so we're all just going to have to get a little bit more creative um, with all of that. Well, Donald, thank you so much for coming on and lending your expertise and thank you for all the work um, that you're doing in the community. Um, A big shout out to um, also your staff um, and everybody else, the the first responders and the medical staff and everybody who's working so hard in Pueblo. Um, Hopefully we can, we can get those numbers up and, um, I appreciate uh, just your message on the personal responsibility side of it um, so much. Uh, we just appreciate everything you're doing.
3: You're welcome. And, and I'm um, glad to help out. And, and um, I'm, I'm thankful for action 22 as well. Representing well, this part of the state. So thank you. Well,
1: thanks. We're, we're working hard on that. So um, before we sign off, there's just one more, um, one more thing I wanted to, um, it's, it's, it's not going to make a difference for me to say this, but, you know, a lot of the things that we're having to do right now, and a lot of the, the moves that, that uh, our state and across the country are having to do, um, has a, has a lot to do with the fact that a stimulus package, that final stimulus package didn't get passed. So, um, we've had a lot of discussions, um, with, uh, our folks, um, here and everybody's equally frustrated, um. If there's any chance and if anybody's listening um, on that, um, <laughs> Congress, just get it done. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Just do your damn job and get that done because we're we're under the gun enough in our area without the stupid uh, playground games that you guys are doing. Just get it done. So that's, that's the last thing I want to say on that. Before we do that, um, if it's if there's anybody that's listening, just come on. Um, we're going to remember later on when you, because you didn't do it. Let's just say it that way. So, all right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, thank you, Brian. Thanks, Donald, for joining us again. This has been um, the latest episode of Making Action Happen, um, and I'm your host, Sarah Blackhurst, on with Voice America. We will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll still be doing a show for Thanksgiving. So we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, be personally responsible, um, and stay well. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.